0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. This is our Zambian team from last summer, and, and I, I showed that, that this morning because I wanted to remind you that we are preparing for next year. And all those spring breaks seems like an eternity away for most, especially our students, right? It's just about six months away. <laughs> and so I know a lot of you have been praying and thinking about our upcoming mission trips for 2014. The sheets have gone out and a lot of you have expressed interest. Some have signed up. But if you're thinking about a spring break trip, now is the time. You've got to make the decision. Our teams are forming. We're praying right now. We're making some preparations. Our teams will start meeting very soon. And so if you're considering Zambia over spring break of 2014 or Guatemala over spring break of 2014, both those trips will be taking place. You need to see Randy Presley, talk to him more. We've just launched a brand new website I'm very excited about, rosemontmissions.org. Instead of Rosemont Church, it's rosemontmissions.org, and it explains all of our upcoming trips. You can read about the trips, you can watch the videos, you can even register online. So if you're considering going, you're thinking about going, the Lord has kind of touched your heart a little bit about going. You need to go to that website, read a little bit more about the trip, spend some time in prayer, talk to me, talk to Randy Presley, talk to one of these team members that went to Zambia or Guatemala last year, and uh, see how the Lord leads. I, I just want to remind you guys the world is filled with darkness. Man, we live in an isolated little bubble sometimes, don't we? Had the opportunity last week to, to Skype with an IMB missionary who's in Asia. Uh, in a very, very, very unchurched place. And I'm really praying about what that means for our church. He's been there about a year and is working to reach people for Christ. And he just shared with me some of his struggles and and some of the things that he's dealing with and some of his needs. And it reminded me that that, that the world is in need of Christ. And he's called us to go. And so you wrestle with that a little bit in your hearts about what the Lord's called you to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for your call to go. We thank you for your call to send. I pray, Lord, that that calling would resonate in our hearts and keep us awake at night. Burning us with what we should do. I pray for these people, Lord, these precious people of this church that have given so much and sacrificed so often, Lord, for you. I pray you would continue to impress upon their hearts the need to go, the need to send. Father, I pray you'd continue to press upon their hearts the very real darkness of our world. And I pray, Father, you'd continue to do a mighty work in our church through missions. Father, I pray for our time together this morning. As we open up the text of Scripture, may your name be honored and glorified in all the things that we say or do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. December of 1914. Almost a hundred years ago, World War I had been raging for about five months. And trenches had been dug from Belgium down into France, southward, all the way along the dividing line between France and Germany. And World War I had kind of descended into what became known as trench warfare, where, where these soldiers would literally live in these trenches that they dug out in the ground. And a hundred yards on the other side were other soldiers from the other army, the enemy that also lived in their trenches. The area between was called No Man's Land. And so these men would live in these trenches until the order of attack was given. And when it was given, they would jump up out of their fortified little areas, their trenches, and run across No Man's Land through barbed wire, through reinforcements as artillery shells rained down upon them, as gunfire rained upon them. And they would try to literally capture a hundred yards away the enemy's trench. This went on for months and months and months and months. And as you can imagine, most of those attacks were unsuccessful. And when it was all said and done, it resulted in hundreds of thousands of casualties and deaths. Now that method of warfare was grueling and took an incredibly heavy toll on the soldiers involved. And with Christmas approaching... December of 1914, both sides hoped for some sort of a ceasefire. And there were signs that began to spring up that pointed to the possibility that maybe there could be, even for a short period of time, a truce. And so the British Daily Telegraph wrote a story in which a correspondent explained that at some point, somewhere along the lines, the Germans, and he wasn't quite sure how this happened, managed to slip a chocolate cake into the British Trench as a sign of goodwill and peace. And I want to read for you now an account of that event, December of 1914. Even more amazingly, this writer said, it, this is the chocolate cake, was accompanied with a message. Now these are the German forces fighting against the French and the British. They send a message across the lines asking for a ceasefire later that evening so they could celebrate the festive season, that would be the Christmas season, and their captain's birthday. They proposed a concert 7:30 p.m. when candles the British were told would be placed on the tops of their trenches. The British accepted the invitation and offered some tobacco as a return present. That evening at the stated time, German heads suddenly popped up and started to sing. Each number ended with a round of applause from both sides. This incredible scene led to what would be called the Christmas Truce of 1914, an unplanned ceasefire all along the front. Now, that same writer went on to say it was the last of the examples of the outdated notion of chivalry between enemies in warfare and would never again be repeated. But on that day, Christmas Day 1914, singing, just for a moment, halted the fighting of World War I. What an interesting image. You see, probably more than we even understand, music has power in our lives. We all know the power of music in our hearts. We all have memories that are rekindled when that one song comes on the radio and we remember a time past, right? It doesn't matter how many years ago, when you hear that one song, whatever it is, and you're probably thinking of it right now, you remember that moment. You remember that time. For some of you in your marriages, there's that one song And you hear that one song and it takes you back. It rekindles all those memories that are past. We hum and we whistle our favorite songs and our favorite melodies. Why? Because music is important to us. Singing is important to us. And we understand that music has been around for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, music is important in the Bible. Singing is discussed all through the Bible. For example... We read passages like Romans 15, 9, Therefore I will praise you, speaking to the Lord, among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Hebrews 2, 12 says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. James 5, 13, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. You see, music is not only important to our daily lives, but music is incredibly important to our worship as well. And so we're going to spend some time this morning examining the importance of music in worship. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There you are, you found it. They're small little books, all written by Paul, all written to churches in various areas in Asia Minor for specific reasons. We're going to focus this morning in Colossians chapter 3. Now this is week nine and it's our final week on worship. We spent the last eight weeks thinking about worship and studying worship and Praying about worship, and so for just a few minutes as you find Colossians chapter 3, I want to review for you kind of what we've covered and where we've been and the things that the Lord has shown us, and then we're going to delve into this passage of Scripture. Week 1, eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago now, we studied and explained and understood through the teaching of Scripture that worship is not simply about a set time and a set place. We said, if you think worship is simply 9.30 to 10.30 on Sunday morning, or maybe 11 to 12 on Sunday morning, you're missing the truth of Scripture. We should find opportunities and chances to worship at all times of our lives. We looked at John 4, and Christ told the woman at the well, you should worship in spirit and in truth. Week 2, we talked about the importance of preparing our hearts for worship. How when we do come together as a corporate body of Christ, we should come with a sense of expectation A sense of hope. A sense that the Lord is going to accomplish something incredible in our hearts and our minds as we worship together. Week three in our study, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, or your spiritual act of worship, as some scriptures say. And we were reminded that we should give of ourselves to the Lord. And when we give of ourselves to the Lord, we worship. Week 4, we looked at Psalm 150 and we answered four simple questions about worship. Where should we worship the Lord? Everywhere. Why should we worship the Lord? Because of His power and His glory and His majesty. How should we worship the Lord? With excitement and joy, music and celebration. All this is right out of Psalm Psalm 150. Who should worship the Lord? Everyone. Week 5, we looked at Revelation 15 and we talked about the the future of worship. And we looked to a time at some point in the future when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ was Lord. And we talked about worshiping the Lord, the eternal God, the almighty King, the God of the nations and how one day all believers would come together in heaven around that throne to worship and to sing to the Lord. Week 6. We looked at Hebrews chapter 10 and we talked about true worship and how in order to experience true worship, we need to grow in our walk. We need to continually be praying and continually be studying and constantly growing in our faith with Christ. Week 7, we talked about baptism and how it's a, a picture of Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, but it's also a picture for us of how we've given up ourselves to the life of sin. We've died to sin and we've been buried. That because of Christ and because of who Christ is, we've been resurrected to experience new life. And we said that when we experience baptism, or when we see other people being baptized, it should lead us to worship. And then week eight last week, we took the Lord's Supper together, Christ's final meal. And we talked about the significance of the Last Supper and how the Last Supper is a picture of all Christ has done for us. And how when we take of that meal, we remember all that Jesus did. And when we remember all that He did, it leads us to worship, And then finally this morning, week 9, we're going to finish our study by examining a passage of Scripture, a passage of Scripture that's going to speak to us and help us understand the importance of music in our worship. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It's the only verse we're going to look at this morning. Chapter 3, Paul has been giving the church at Colossae a picture of how they ought to live, things they ought to do. How they ought to conduct themselves in their day to day walk and how they ought to conduct themselves in their worship. And we come to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. These are the words of Paul. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude. In your hearts. Now we need to understand that worship and singing have always been an integral part of our time together as a body of Christ. And so so there's some truths about music and about song and about worship that I want to draw out of this passage of scripture to help us better understand the importance of singing when we do come together. Here's the first truth: number one, we worship. By hearing and learning the message of Christ in our songs. We worship by hearing and learning the message of Christ in our songs. Now Paul begins verse 16 with this clear message. This clear foundational message. Let the message of Christ dwell among you. For Paul, Christ is central. Now we don't want to just glaze over that, we don't want to just blow past that, because we need to understand that everything that follows in verse 16 follows out of the message of Christ. It flows from the message of Christ. To Paul, Christ is central in our worship. To Paul, Christ is central in our music and in our singing when we come together as the body of Christ. Now this shouldn't surprise us about Paul. In fact, if you were to do a study of Paul, you would understand that for him, Christ is always central in all things. In fact, if you wanted to do something kind of interesting, you should read through the books of the Bible that Paul wrote. Paul wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. On down the list, he wrote. And you should read the first verse of every one of those books. I want to give you a couple of examples and see if you can pick out the theme here in Paul's writings. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Colossians, the book we're in right now. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. In fact, every single book that Paul has written in the New Testament... Always begins with the foundation of Jesus Christ. But we shouldn't limit it just to Paul, right? It's not just about Paul. It's not just about the New Testament. If you were to go back and read through the Old Testament, you would see that the Old Testament, time and time and time again, looks ahead to who Christ is going to be. We did our study, I don't know, a year and a half ago. We called it the Great Story. And we walk through passages of scripture in the Old Testament that look ahead to who Christ was going to be. Genesis chapter 3, Exodus chapter 12, Numbers 21, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Isaiah 9, on and on the list goes. This picture looking ahead of who Christ would one day be. So the Old Testament looks ahead to Christ. The New Testament looks back at all that Christ accomplished and the The purpose of us understanding that and seeing that is to see that all through Scripture, Christ is central. Now, here's the question we ought to ask ourselves on a regular basis Is Christ central in our lives? Is Christ central in our story? Christ was central to Paul, he was central to the New Testament, he was central to all the Scripture. Is he central to us? Is he central at work? When we're around our coworkers? Is Christ central in our homes? Is Christ the center of our thought processes? Is Christ central in our attitudes? Is Christ central in the way we spend our money? Is Christ central for us on the weekends when we're not around other church members? Is Christ central for us when we're alone and no one else sees what we're saying or sees what we're doing? Is Christ the center of our lives? It has to be. If we're going to talk about true worship, it has to begin with Christ. So the message is and has always been about Christ. But I want you to notice what Paul does in verse 16. It's very interesting. Because in verse 16 in this text, the message that Paul gives us is Christ, but the method used to bring that message is song. In other words, Paul's going to explain to us that the way that the message is given to us in this text is through our singing. Put up verse 16 again. There it is. Let the message of Christ, there's the foundation, dwell richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through... See that? You're going to teach and admonish the message of Christ Through psalms, hymns, and songs, singing to God with gratitude. Paul says that the way the message is going to come across to us in this context is through song. And so when we sing songs together as the body of Christ that are based on the foundation of Christ, it's a way that we learn and understand the picture of who Jesus is. And it's a way that as the body of Christ comes together we worship. Now, for centuries, we understand this, songs were used as a primary means for teaching. In fact, one historian studying ancient civilizations said this, Prior to the invention of printing, hymns and songs were a necessary and invaluable means of implanting Christian teaching. Before people could read, before they could print, people would teach these songs, and these songs would be spread around to other communities, and they would be passed down from generation to generation, and people would sing these songs, and they would learn doctrine, and they would learn about Christ, and they would learn about the Lord as they sang these songs to their children and eventually to their grandchildren. Now, we understand this to be true because songs stay with us, don't they? Songs are important to us, and we can remember songs when we can't remember other things, and I'll prove it to you. Why are you laughing? Now, I want to be careful here because this is a worship service. And I want to understand this is for a point of illustration. Everybody's sitting up all of a sudden. That was an interesting little, y'all you know, were kind of like, get the camera out, honey. Something big's about to happen. So I'm going to start a song, and you sing with me to prove that it works. You ready? Just sit right back in your tale of a fateful trip. That aboard this tiny ship. Okay, stop, that's enough. Now I hope that picked up on the on the tape. That'll be awesome. You can go buy that on YouTube tomorrow at some point. iTunes, something. Now, Gilligan's Island hasn't actually aired since the late 1960s. It's true. Now I was in syndication for a little while in the 80s, but it's been an awful long time. Some of those specific little TV shows, TV Land, they may show old episodes of it. But I got a feeling none of us have watched it on a consistent basis in a long, long time, have we? I hope not. Please don't raise your hand if you have. You're like, I have got all of them at home on tape. It's okay. But we've heard that song and we've sung it, and guess what? It sticks with us, doesn't it? We can still sing it as is the case. You Proving yourself to be able to do that. Why? Because songs are important to us. Children learn by songs, don't they? Our kids learn the alphabet by singing their little song. A, B, C, D. We know the song, right? We've all, we all learned it. In fact, some people still, when they think about the alphabet, that song comes back to their mind. They can't say their alphabet without singing the song. Children learn books of the Bible with songs. We use this as a tool to teach. Paul understands this. Paul understands that songs are important, that we learn through singing. And so it's interesting the words that Paul uses here. Bring that text back up again, verse 16. Paul says, the message of Christ is going to dwell richly among you. Watch this as you teach and admonish or correct one another with wisdom. How? Through singing. Paul says this is a method in which you can learn. This is a method in which you can teach. This is a method in which you can understand because seeing is important. But I think there's a warning here as well, isn't there? Songs are awfully important, so we need to be careful of the things we put into our brain, don't we? Because we remember. And we may not understand exactly what's going into our brain, but it's teaching us something whether we know it or not. It's helping us understand a lifestyle is okay whether we understand it or not. And so I just want to encourage and and, and kind of give us a warning based on the truth of this scripture. We need to be careful. The songs that we put into our brain and the things that we listen to because they teach and they train. That's why it's so important for us as, as as a music team as we lead this church to choose songs that are biblically based. that are foundational in the truth of scripture and that teach the message of Christ just as Paul says we should. You say, that's great. We, we, should, we should sing songs. They should be based on the foundation of Christ. They should have the right biblical message. But what sort of songs should we sing? Well, look again at verse 16. Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through... Here are the three types of songs. Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So here's the second truth. We worship by singing psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Paul gives us these kind of three ideas here that we understand are important. These three types of songs. Put those up. I think we've got them, the second point there. These are the types of songs that Paul gives us to help us understand how we ought to sing. Now, different scholars disagree and debate exactly what these words mean. Some say they're very similar. Some say they're a little bit different. But I think it's fair for us to kind of think through And define these words just for a couple of minutes to help us better understand the types of songs we ought to sing. The first one are the Psalms. And simply enough, these are songs taken directly from the book of Psalms. You understand that the book of Psalms was written, a lot of it by David and by other writers, and they were intended to be put to music. And so you see oftentimes in the headline of the psalms with the harp or with the lyre or with the tambourine or with the horns. And there's this sense that in the Old Testament when they read these psalms, they did it with music. And they sang it with music. It was an important part of who they are. But we understand as we think about the kind of songs that we ought to sing today, those songs ought to be drawn specifically from the Scripture. Specifically from the teaching of the truth of the Word of God. You you may remember we sang a song called Like Incense today. Your statues are my heritage forever. My heart is set on keeping your decrees. Please still my anxious urge toward rebellion. Let love keep my will upon its knees. It's directly from the Psalms. Psalm 119, 111 and 112. Your statues are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Oh God, you are my God and I will praise you. That's the chorus of that song. Psalm 118 verse 28. You are my God and I will praise you. That song says that my prayer like incense will rise before you. The lifting of my hands a sacrifice. Psalm 141 verse 2. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And on and on I could go because the songs that we sing are are taken and come directly from the scriptures. We do that on purpose. It's not by accident. You know, We're not going to choose songs that aren't biblically correct. We're not going to choose songs that don't come from the scripture. And so Paul says you need to sing the psalms which we do. You need to sing the psalms that come from the word of the Lord because they're true and they teach. And they help us understand exactly who the Lord is. Hymns are the second list. Hymns can be defined as a direct address of praise and glory to God. And sometimes we think about hymns being older or hymns are songs that we've sung in the past. But a hymn is basically a song that leads to our praise. It leads to us singing about the glory of God and about His power and about His mercy. And so we sing hymns and we think about God and we focus on who He is and we're reminded of the truths of the teaching of Scripture. Paul says we need to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. My spiritual songs are a little bit harder to understand and define because a lot of scholars disagree about what this means, but I want to draw just for our understanding as we try to figure out kind of what this means an interesting parallel. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, our text from this morning, I want to read it again to you. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, I think we have Ephesians 5, 18, and 19 as well. Can we put that one up? Now, listen to Ephesians 18, and then we'll go to 19. Do not get drunk on wine. Now, follow with this, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, on to verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. See, it's very similar. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So, there's this sense here. That when we read Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, and we hear that Paul is warning people not to be drunk on wine, but instead to be drunk in the Spirit, basically, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the people of the New Testament, when they were filled with the Spirit, looked a little different than people that weren't. You may remember Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell upon the people at Pentecost like tongues of fire, and they began to speak in other languages. And the Bible says that all those that were around them, that saw them doing this, accused them of what? Do you remember? Being drunk with wine. And Peter stands up and he says, listen, it's too early in the morning for that, right? These people aren't drunk with wine. They're drunk with the Spirit. So there's this sense here that when we're filled with the Spirit, we're we're acting in ways that people don't necessarily understand. And so as we read Paul again in Colossians 3.16, using the same phrase he used in Ephesians 5, The same sorts of songs. Songs from the Spirit. We ought to understand that singing songs from the Spirit simply means we're singing in the Spirit of the Lord. And we're singing focusing on the Spirit and thinking about all He's done for us. Now we need to be careful here. Because if we're not sensitive to those around us, that can become a distraction. We all know kind of what those kinds of things look like. I'll never forget when I was... Younger, before I was even married, I visited a church that was, I'll just use the quotes, a little more charismatic than we are. <laughs> and I went because I just didn't know what to expect, right? I wanted to kind of see and experience and, and, and get a different feel. And so the, the service was good and the, the music was good. And towards the end of the sermon, the pastor, he's preaching and he got going a little bit, you know? You know what I mean? He, get, he started going. And the guy back here on the drums started hitting the drums on beat. As The pastor's speaking, and the pastor's getting revved up, you know. He's starting to go right in the drum and beat. and he gets in the music going and mowing. And, and they started playing and loud and just energetic kind of thing. It was really cool. And all of a sudden, the pastor said, If you don't mind, I'm gonna take a run for Jesus. And he came down off the pulpit and he started running. And I don't mean he was just walking, I mean, he went down one aisle, across the back, down the front, and he is booking, he's not just walking. And he made two laps and his wife hopped up and followed him. And she started running for Jesus. And the, 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 the congregation was just, you know, they were into it, right? And at that moment, he just lost me. I mean, I was out at that moment. I'm sure those people were in and it was, you know, I, I get all that. But I, I was totally distracted. I mean, I was too busy just watching this guy run around to know anything else was going on in that service. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't filled with the Spirit. That's between him and the Lord. I'm really not saying any of that. But what I am saying is for me, it was distracting. And so we need to be careful as we, as we allow the Spirit to lead us and to guide us. We certainly want to be sensitive to people around us. But we also want to be focused on the Lord. We need to sing these psalms and these hymns in the Spirit honoring Christ. That's what Paul calls us to do. Now, we need to finish up verse 16 again. The end of the passage, let the message of Christ. I'm not, not going to take a run for Jesus today, by the way. Don't, don't be fearful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the sphere. Now, here's the third point singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here's truth number three. We worship by singing to God with a grateful heart. I think that's lost on an awful lot of people. <laughs> Paul says we need to sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now singing is all through the New Testament. We've seen so many examples of Scripture on and on the list goes. But the question becomes for us as we sit here in worship, who are we singing to? Are we singing to the Lord for His approval? Or I fear are we singing for the approval of the people around us? Are we way more concerned about what this guy thinks about my singing than what the Lord thinks about my singing? Are we way more concerned of, you know, I really think it'd be really, really cool to kind of lift my hands in praise of the Lord, but I'm just worried about what my Sunday school teacher would think. (laughs) Or I'm worried about what this person behind me would think. or You know, I, I just really want to pray right now during this song out loud to the Lord, but I'm just worried about what this person next to me will think. It's not about what that person thinks. I think we need to be understanding that. Paul says, don't sing to the guy next to you don't sing for the approval of all those people around us and again we need to be sensitive to the spirit i, I want to be clear there but paul says we're singing to god i wonder if sometimes when we're alone if our songs of worship look a little bit different than they do when we're around other people that'd be a good benchmark for you to begin to notice about yourself are you at home just singing and praising and then you're at church is it is it different Paul says we need to sing unto the Lord, right? That means we should be joyous and we should be excited, right? And we should be happy to be here. But here's the problem and here's the struggle. We can talk about this all we want to and we can talk about how wrong it is, but the truth of the matter is we all live in a world that for the most part is devoid of joy, don't we? So many of you will get up tomorrow morning and go into an atmosphere of people that may be good people, but there's no true joy there. Or maybe it's a really big struggle for you every day at work. Or maybe you're around people who are just negative and are not at all interested in the things of Christ. And we live our lives in that world. And it's hard for us sometimes if we're not very careful. If we're not very careful about focusing on Christ during those times. It's very hard for us to find joy. But here's the problem for us. If we live our lives in that world, never focusing on Christ, never sensing His joy, never living for Him day to day to day to day, it's hard to live our lives Monday through Saturday like that and get up on Sunday morning to come to church and be filled with joy. That's hard to do. Worship isn't a switch that you flip when you wake up on Sunday morning. I'm going to live like this and then Sunday morning comes, I'll flip the switch. Good morning, God bless you, the Lord loves you. We do that, don't we? And then we get back when we're done. (laughs) Thank goodness that's over. Wow, that was really hard this morning. we got to put on this show. Paul says we need to sing as is singing to the Lord with what? Gratitude. Why do we have gratitude? Because we know what Christ has accomplished, don't we? And You can walk into that darkness at work and and be around all those negative people and understand even as difficult as it is, I can have joy in you because of who Christ is in my life. Not because of me, but because of him. Because through him there's forgiveness. Through him there's hope. Through him there's love and there's new life. And so many people get caught up in finding joy in the circumstances of life when the real joy is in who Christ is based on his message. And we've spent nine weeks now thinking about worship and studying worship. And we've talked about so many things. But if I had to leave you with one idea to consider... One point to remember about worship from this point forward is it ought to begin with and be surrounded by Christ. He is our foundation. If you'll live your lives with the foundation of Jesus Christ, focusing on Him on all parts of your life, in all things, every moment of every day, it will lead you to worship. I want to finish with a quote from from an early church father, around the year 120, and I just like these quotes because it reminds me that we stand in a long line of believers who understand and remember the importance of singing and the importance of worship. And I just imagine these people gathered around little lamps in little buildings or in caves, huddled together, singing praises to the Lord, even in the midst of persecution. And here's what Ignatius says in the year 120. The song of Jesus Christ resounds, and I can just imagine it echoing through those caves in your unity, and in your harmonious love. Yes, all of you should become one choir so that in perfect harmony, taking your keynote from God in unity, you may with one voice sing praises to the Father through Jesus Christ so that He may hear you and recognize you by your good deeds as members of His Son. When we focus on Christ and we sing praises to his name and we remember all that he has done, it will lead us to worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. We thank you again, Lord, for the clarity of your word. I pray, Father, we'd have the strength to apply it to our lives, Lord. I pray we'd have the strength to make you foundational in all we do. Not just on Sunday morning, not just at certain parts during the week, but at all times, Father. Even in those difficult moments, to to focus on you, to remember you as our foundation. Father, I pray that as we sing songs from the scriptures and and songs uh, that focus on you, Lord, that we do that in the power of the Spirit thinking about you and, and loving you, Father. And then I pray that as we sing those things, we sing to you with gratitudes in our heart, remembering, Lord, all that you've given us. Father, you lead us to, to be reminded on a regular basis of your power and your glory and your majesty, Father. And I pray when we do that, we would experience true worship for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you